Well, I recently read a book by Evelyn Waugh named Helena. Now, this is the Helena, the mother of the Emperor Constantine, who legalized Christianity in the empire uh, by way of the Edict of Milan in 313. Uh, Before then, there was just a series of persecutions, hundreds and hundreds uh, of martyrs, All the evil emperors, it seems like most of the emperors were evil emperors, Um, Constantine uh, became a Christian. And Waugh's novel is historical fiction uh, about Helena's life and her discovery of the true cross of Christ. And I I do uh, recommend it. Waugh said that it was his favorite and best uh, work. Uh, but it's not really uh, recognized by, by the critics as such, even, even uh, the, the fans of Evelyn Waugh. Uh, now, there is this scene when, when uh, Helena is speaking with Constantine, kind of debating with him about uh, baptism. And as there were so many uh, Christians in those days, he wanted to put baptism off until uh, the last moment so that he would go right uh, to heaven, no time in purgatory uh, at all. Um, and this was, as they say, the fashion at the time. Okay? Um, so uh, she's debating with him, and uh, her own conversion has already taken place, her own baptism has already taken place. And in this conversation with her son, the emperor, about when he might be baptized, she says, Sometimes I have a terrible dream of the future, not now, but presently. People may forget their loyalty to their kings and emperors and take power for themselves, each one of them. Think of the misery of a whole world possessed of power without grace. Think of the misery of a whole world possessed of power without grace. Now, this novel was published uh, in 1950. And Evelyn Waugh understood human nature very well. Um, he, his, I think his understanding of human nature uh, was in no small part uh, formed by his own Catholic faith. The church, uh, after all, understands human nature better than anyone uh, because uh, she has been taught by its very author. Um, so here, uh, Waugh puts on the, on the mouth of Helena these words. Think of the misery of the whole world possessed of power without grace. I think this is almost 70 years ago that he wrote this. But we live uh, in a world that is largely possessed of power without grace. Technological power, political power, economic power, military power, the power of fear and terror, the power to take, the power to withhold. All this power without grace, without true love, without God's justice and wisdom, it leads to this emptiness and loneliness and disquietude this sense of purposelessness, this meaninglessness uh, that um, we see. It's just so much a part of, uh, so much a part of uh, so many people these days. Uh, Waugh really foresaw this and even thought that in his day that uh, this is where things were trending. Uh, So we're in this pickle. Now, one thing I, one thing I don't find helpful is when people or priests, and usually it's priests, They'll say to me, uh, the church has been here before in, in times and circumstances, these difficulties that we have now, and um, it's expressed, at least to me, what they mean is that uh, we just need to endure the times and the church uh, will see her way through this and Christ will come and uh, will he find faith on the earth? Uh, let's hope so. 
um, tomorrow will be better and all of that. This can't go on this way forever. A very wise priest um, said to me with regard to this, it's going to get worse before it gets worse. Now I'm the chaplain at Paul VI High School and I see the problems in the lives of many, many, many students and they come to speak with me about them and I've been saying as a way of encouraging them, tomorrow will be better. You know, because what else do you say to a teenager, right? They're caught up in all the drama of the day. Tomorrow will be better. Well, the cynic in me, and I'm, I'm sorry to say, to confess to you in the presence of our Eucharistic Lord, uh, the cynic, that I, there is a bit of a cynic in me. Um, I want to stop saying tomorrow will be better and rather say tomorrow will be different because it will indeed uh, be different. Uh, now, Christians are not meant to merely wait out the graceless power of one emperor or culture or government, but rather to be who we are as God's sons and daughters. And so the first reflection of our parish mission is our mission as God's sons and daughters. So what are we to do in order to fulfill this mission that we have as Christians? Well, that is not, I mean, a great question, but not exactly where I want to begin. Uh, Because action follows being. Action follows being. We choose and we act based on who we are, right? In accord with that, in in accord with the truth. And by virtue of baptism, we are God's children in Jesus Christ by the power and abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, St. John, in his first letter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, if anybody is taking notes, or if you brought your Bible as good Catholics ought to have done. Uh, Anyway, John writes, you must see the great love the Father has lavished on us by letting us be called God's children, which is what we are. The reason why the world does not acknowledge us is that it did not acknowledge him. My dear friends, we are already God's children, but what we shall be in the future has not yet been revealed. We are well aware that when, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he really is. So God's sons and daughters now. But then whatever transformation is going to take place when we see him face to face, when that image is fully perfected in us, the image of God, uh, that is truly something uh, to ponder. And yet this is who we are, God's sons and daughters, so precious to him uh, that um, there is nothing in the world that, uh, nothing in the world uh, that counts as our worth, nothing more, uh, nothing less than the blood of Christ poured out for us, than his heart opened for us, his life given for us. And he does this out of the most profound love and personal love for each one of us. He goes to the cross, he goes to the cross joyfully, he endures his passion, you know, uh, in, in, uh, this, in this way uh, that draws us into this mystery of his love because he had each one of us in his mind and in his heart when he went to the cross from us. He knew us. He longed for us. Longed for us from the cross. And, and in John's gospel, uh, he says, I have loved you. I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. And he goes to the cross with that love. So that love is truly crucified. It is offered for us. It is given to us. So Jesus, you know, in this great 
act of uh, self-emptying becomes one of us, to live for us, to die for us, to open the gates of heaven for us, to open his heart for us. And such is his love. He loves us with the same love with which he is loved by the Father. The very same love that is God. That love is the Holy Spirit, and we are loved beyond anything that we can imagine. And that love is present here with us, because the Lord has promised to abide with us until he comes again. That real presence of Jesus is here with us. Um, It is not enough that he did everything that he did, that he said everything that he said. Not enough that he has given us the Holy Spirit. Uh, but to, to build us up in our life in him and as his brothers and sisters to increase that life of God in us, to unite himself to us and build up the church throughout all the ages until the church is presented to the Father as the spotless bride of Christ, that he gives himself to us. Jesus gives himself to us. All of his life and all of his love, his body, his blood, soul, and divinity. And this is again, speaks of who we are, speaks of us as God's sons and daughters and brothers of Christ. Our faith tells us that this is true, and it is true. Our faith tells us who God is and what he has done and what he wills for us. But our faith, if we can accept it, if Jesus will find any faith on the earth when he comes, our faith tells us who we are as well. And that is the thing that I think that awareness that appreciation, I think that is uh, the thing that is lacking. And it's not just in the teenagers who I talk with and who tell me their sins and who I say hi to in the hallway. It's not just them. This is the problem. The problem. The problem of the church. The problem of, uh, in the church. Our problem. We do not know who we are. And therefore, we do not live as we ought. But we are not willing to accept this revelation of God. Not in its fullness. Not in the way that he uh, intends. Now, as sons and daughters, uh, we have this... uh, We are heirs of the promise, as St. Paul says. Heirs of the promise. And he says that uh, in Romans 8, chapter 14, all who are guided by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For what you have received was not the spirit of slavery to bring you back into, into fear, but received the spirit of adoption, enabling us to cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself joins with our spirit to bear witness that we are children of God. So there is the Holy Spirit witnessing in us that we are who we are. We are God's own, that we belong to him, that he belongs to us. And St. Paul goes on to say, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, provided that we share his suffering so as to share his glory. And what is that glory that he promises us? Is it some little itty-bitty bit of it? Is it scraps from the table, you know, of um, our Father God? No, it is all of it, all of the glory that comes to Christ, that he has promised to us as co-heirs with him, as one with him, as his bride, the church. All of it. All of his glory. But the fact is that we are the only creatures that can choose to be what we are not. There is no other creature that can do this. A dog has to be a dog. I don't know if anybody has a pet dog or a pet cat. They can't, they have no choice. 
They, they wake up in the morning and they are dog or they are cat. And that is all that they can be. It wouldn't even occur to them to be something else. In like manner, a llama has to be a llama, an armadillo has to be an armadillo. You get the idea, okay? But we get to choose. We're the only ones who can choose to be or not to be in the sense of who we are as God's sons and daughters. And that in itself, that will disconnected from God's will, that will disconnected from, from revelation, that will that is not willing uh, to assent to what God has revealed, that is power without grace. The power to choose to be something that we are not or to think that we are completely self-determining or self-sufficient, that we can decide what it means to serve God, what it means to be friends with Him, you know, that we, um, and that we don't have to acknowledge what God has revealed about us in creation and in revelation. So that power comes with the price of believing things that are not true. Uh, we, as sons and daughters of God, we don't have to believe anything that isn't true. We don't have to believe lies. We are totally free, meant to be totally free from lies, from believing anything that's untrue about God or anything that's untrue about ourselves or other people. You know, as Christians, uh, we are meant to be free. St. Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, Christ set us free that we should remain free. So stand firm and do not let yourselves be fastened again to the yoke of slavery. That slavery comes in part from believing things that are not true. I guess I could give you an example. You know, we, we think, um, we can think, God loves everybody else, but he doesn't love me. How could he love me? Poor me. You know, poor me who is so broken and so sinful and so wretched, just so hopeless. Well, that is not true. It's not true at all. You know, think of uh, St. Peter as he's walking on the water there. The, the Lord comes to him in the storm, walking along the water, and they say it's a ghost. Uh, and and uh, Jesus says, don't fear, it's I, it is I. And St. Peter says, Lord, if it is, you bid me to come to you on the water. And he comes. You know, the Lord bids him to come, and he starts walking, and he takes a couple of steps. And what happens? He starts sinking. He starts sinking, and the Lord grasps his hand and pulls him up and say, why do you doubt you have little faith? And we think, poor Peter, he just didn't believe, his faith was just so weak. Well, I'm telling you that Peter's struggle is a very common struggle. It's not just like he just didn't believe in Jesus in the way that he should. You know, it's not that simple. Because here is Peter who has seen Jesus perform these great miracles of healing, you know, has, has seen his power over nature, has seen of all, all of these other uh, things that Jesus has done, and Peter believes that Jesus can do all of these things for everybody else, but doesn't believe that he can do them for him. Sound familiar? Okay, well that is believing a lie. And we are meant to be utterly free of that, utterly free of all of those things that might be untrue that we hold on to, okay? Um, the Lord wants to set us free. And I think it might help our perspective if we realize that what we think of ourselves is not fully us. What we think of ourselves is not really our, our full awareness um, of who we are, it's just uh, in our limited human way and just the way that we can conceive our, of ourselves and our idea of ourselves is not us. 
that we have a very, very limited idea of ourselves and we can't see our, ourselves even in one moment, for one instant, the way that we fully are as God's sons and daughters, much less over the course of our whole life. All of our choices, all of our triumphs, all of our trials, it is just impossible for us to fully understand and know ourselves. And it's okay. It's all right. Because as God shows us who we are, and as we grow in knowledge of ourselves, that we grow in that appreciation of who we are as God's son or God's daughter, because God can know us in our fullness, uh, and he does know us. He knows us eternally. He loved us into being. He sees every moment of our lives, every, uh, every hair on our head. Uh, he longs to be one with us in that communion of love that is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God alone can see us uh, in this fullness as his son or daughter. And I'm not going out on a limb here when I, when I say that God doesn't see us as our weaknesses, our failings. He doesn't see that as we see that. You know, we hold ourselves up in judgment. I can't believe that I am this way or that I did that. We almost hold ourselves in contempt in that regard. You know, and I'm, believe me, I can't be the only one. Okay, I'm not the only one. Uh, God doesn't see us that way. He doesn't judge us the way that, he, that we judge ourselves. He looks upon us and he sees his love. His love walking around in the world. You know, he sees his love. And to ponder that, you know, is to meet, you know, Christ here in the Eucharist. To ponder that is to be open to that love that he wants to bestow on us and give us because we really are God's love. We are not the sum of our failure, of our weakness, of our sins. We are not that at all. We are God's love. Now the challenge for us then is to let the Lord show us who we are and to let him love us. And um, this means growing in our friendship with Christ uh, who leads us to the Father, always leads us to the Father. And we can't know who we are and, and can't know the Father's love except by living our friendship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you know, through our daily prayer and, and through reflecting on Scripture. Now, the purpose of this mission, at least my purpose, is to not give you a lesson on how to pray, um, not to teach you then how to reflect on Holy Scripture or meditate on it, um, I'm probably not the best person to speak with you about those things, but I can give you some, some guidance, I suppose, and that the first thing to say about prayer is to be yourself with God. Be yourself with God. He's the one who loves you the most and knows you the best. So you can speak with him as he is that one, because he is. He is. Now, me growing up, I mean, I'm 45, and... Um, I'm not bragging, believe me, um, because when I first got ordained, it wasn't that long ago, I was 37, I think, when I got ordained, um, and I was a new priest, baby priest, and so everybody thought that I was young. Everybody thought that I was a lot younger than I really am, really was, like 10 years younger, 12 years younger, and I would say, I'm 37, and they say, oh my gosh, Father, you look fantastic, you look so young, and your, your hair is just amazing, you know, and now that I'm 45, and I'll say, I'm 45, and they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I remember, you know, as uh, growing up, I mean, who taught me to pray? My grandmother. 
I remember this very succinctly, and, and, my, and my, um, my parents, of course, but I remember it was my grandmother who taught us how to, how to make a Thanksgiving uh, at, after Mass. And I wasn't even old enough to receive Holy Communion. It was this traditional church up in Rhode Island, and after Mass, we would pray in Our Father a Hail Mary at the statue of St. Joseph, and then pray in Our Father a Hail Mary and a Glory Be at the, at, at the center of the altar in, the, in, in front of the tabernacle, and then pray in another Our Father Hail Mary and a Glory Be at the statue of Mary. And my grandmother said, ask the Lord, you know, what it is that you need to thank him, you know, for his goodness. All of this, she was trying to lead me, trying to teach me, you know, but here I'm just a little kid wanting to get it done, you know, get it done. Now I treasure those moments now looking back, but thinking our Father, Hail Mary, glory be, our Father, Hail Mary, glory be, our Father, Hail Mary, and I'm done. And then we can go home, right? Um, I didn't appreciate what she was trying to teach me. You know, that she was trying to awaken that awareness in me that God really does want us to speak with him, you know, from our hearts, from our hearts. And so that's why I say, be yourself with God. Be yourself with God. St. Jose Maria Escriva, he says, rest in this sonship, in this divine filiation. Um, God is a father, your father, full of warmth and infinite love. Call him father frequently and tell him when you are alone that you love him, that you love him very much, and that you feel proud and strong because you are his son. Isn't that a glorious expression? I mean, think of the pride that we have and the joy that we have of belonging even to our own father. Um, and think then the fatherhood of God is so much greater, right? So be yourself with God. Be yourself with God. The second thing that I would tell you is let Jesus love you. Let him love you. Let God love you. Now, I spoke about these lies, you know, that we might believe and think God's love is for everybody else but not for me. Or how could God love me? Or I've got to be perfect for God to love me or I'm not good enough for God to love me. This is, these are all lies from the pit of hell. I'm telling you. I am telling you. And this shouldn't be any part of us at all, at all, uh, that uh, the Lord looks upon you and sees his son, his daughter. He doesn't just see a son or a daughter. He sees the image of Christ in us. His love. Uh, let him love you. Let him love you. Now the third thing I think is to let him show you who you are. Okay, don't be shackled by this idea of yourself. And if there's one thing that you think on after this, if, if, it's, if all it is that you take to the Lord in prayer is, Lord, I don't know myself anywhere near as, as well as I thought I did. Show me. You know, what Father Schultz said really kind of resonated and was very smart and astute of him to say that I can't conceive of myself in, 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 my, in the fullness of, of me. Like, you show me, Lord, what it means to be me, what it means to belong to you. Let him show you who you are. Now, this takes time and a real openness to God that comes from our trust in him. But he is the one who is worthy of all of our trust for what he has done and what he is doing and because of his perfect love for us. And I have this refrain lately that I keep coming back to in my preaching. I think I even said it when I, when I came here last time to help out on a Sunday. I said, God has nothing to prove to you. He has nothing to prove to you. He has everything to give you. Everything. Now again, we are heirs to the promise. Sons in the Son. This is what St. Paul says. And this is for all of us. There is none that is excluded from this union that God wills. Because again, in the Gospel of John, Jesus prays to the Father and prays for the disciples. And we call it the high priestly prayer. 
Right? He says, Father, I pray for them, and not only them, the disciples, but all who will come to believe through them, that all may be one, as we are one, Father, you and me, and I and you, that all may be one as we are one. He said, the Lord intends and wills and longs for that unity for us to be drawn into that unity that is God. He wills that for all of us. So there is no one that is excluded from his loving care. No one. Now to speak about our own mission, then, is to speak about, you know, what we have, what we're called to do for the kingdom. Okay? And, um, in order to speak about that, I'll use a passage from, from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 16. And now a man came to him and asked, Master, what good deed must I do to possess eternal life? Again, doing instead of being, right? What deed must I do to possess eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There is one alone who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said, which ones? Jesus replied, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, You shall not give false witness, honor your father and your mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. What more do I need to do? Jesus said, if you wish to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard these words, he went away sad, for he was a man of great wealth. Now we hear this, and I think we focus on the wealth of this man, and that he's got to make this sacrifice. That is what the Lord is calling him to do. Okay, but I'd like to bring something else out of this. And that is, it's clear that Jesus expresses his, God's will for all of us to live with friendship with him, to keep the commandments. So that's the first thing that Jesus expresses to him. Keep the commandments. And this is what it means to live in friendship with me. But then he's got an invitation to this rich young man uh, to sell all he has and give to the poor and put all this treasure in heaven and then follow me. Now this poor fellow, we don't know his name. It's kind of sad because there are plenty of other people in the Gospels who we know their name. This fellow is never named because he never follows Jesus. He never gives up all of those things. Now he might have lived a life in friendship with him, but he doesn't enter into that calling that invitation that Jesus gives him. So there's God's universal will on one hand and God's particular will for us. And by the looks of this wonderful congregation here, I see that many of you have entered into your vocation. There's no doubt about that. Thanks be to God. So we've accepted this invitation to perfection, holiness, uh, to virtue, um, to all of it, to do God's work for the kingdom that only you can do. And this is great. I mean, it really is great. I'll say something about marriage, and I'm, this doesn't come from me. I wish it did. I wish I was this funny. I've heard that marriage is martyrdom on the installment plan. Martyrdom on the installment plan, right? Um, so that that offering of yourself, you, you make it daily, you make it again and again and again. And that's that offering, that witness to the love of God by witnessing that love, living that love with your spouse, with your children, with your family. Uh, and the great... Um, The great gift of marriage is the grace that is given, not just in the moment uh, that you make your vows, uh, but the grace that is given in every moment of every day to live uh, that commitment that you've made, to live that covenant, 
And that sign that you are, as husband and wife, that is what gives grace. It gives grace to you. It gives grace to the world. So this is a a great thing about marriage. I mean, such a great gift. Um, And so uh, this vocation, you know, whatever our vocation might be, you know, that is that invitation to take our place, you know, in God's kingdom in the way that he wills. Now, uh, there is um, a theologian by the name of von Balthasar who said he came to this, a German fellow, as you can imagine, he came to this realization as he was walking through the Black Forest. This is going to sound very dramatic to you, but it's really short. He's walking through the Black Forest, and he has this image in his mind of this great mosaic that is God's will and God's kingdom through all eternity and all this. This beautiful mosaic that it just seems to go on and on and on. And God shows him his place, this little place, this little stone in the mosaic that is that place that he is meant to be, the work that he is meant to do. And von Balthasar, in that moment, he said, I knew that if I took my place, that I would be doing God's will, that I would be serving his kingdom in the way that he willed. And so I chose that. I chose to take, to take that place. Uh, and, and this is the thing. Uh, the couples that I have done marriage prep for, granted, I haven't been a priest for that long. Um, not too many of them have been seeking God's will Hey, they love each other. They want to get married. Okay, they have a right to get married. Have you prayed about it? Father, what do you mean? I mean, have you ever prayed about what it is that you're doing? No, we love each other. We want to get married. Like, okay. You know, I mean, I can't really say no. uh, But hopefully maybe I give them something to think about. No, but uh, this is another challenge of our age. The value to impress upon people the value of knowing God's will and doing God's will for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, something that doesn't seem to have too much worth. What I'm hearing children, what I'm hearing and what we probably heard as children, but the teens, you know, follow your dreams, you can be whatever you want to be, um, all of that jazz. Um, keep your dreams alive. Well, now I keep my dreams alive by going back to sleep, okay? Um, but to follow your dreams, great, okay? To reach for the stars, fantastic. To be whatever you want to be, fine, but someday you're going to have to commit and you're going to have to make a decision that is going to limit all of these other decisions that you might make. You can't marry everybody. You can't, right? You just can't. You can't be everything. You've got to make a commitment. And so the Lord, by us entering into our own vocation, is asking us to make that commitment, answer that invitation. And, you know, it is a great and glorious thing to do God's will, to know his will. Such value in it. And it's, it's the source of our peace, too. The scripture says, in your will is our peace. It is our peace. And so then that leads to the mission of the church, okay? To be that sign that God intends us uh, to be. Um, the whole church... Uh, the sign of salvation, the sacrament of, of salvation, to proclaim and live the truth of who God is and who we are. This is the whole mission of the church. It hasn't changed to proclaim the truth. It hasn't changed. You know, it hasn't changed over these many centuries where now it's like, okay, you know, whatever you want to believe, that's all right. All these just different paths to God. You just be true to yourself. And that's the most important thing. Remember what I said about us not knowing ourselves, not being able to conceive of ourselves? But what does it even mean to be true to ourselves if we don't know who we are? Okay, if, we're, if, we're, if we lie to ourselves in that fashion and say, I've got to be true to myself, then uh, we don't know who we are. 
Okay, if it's leading us away from God's will. And I think then that one of the other challenges in the church, and with the church fulfilling her mission, is that it seems like living in friendship with God isn't possible. I mean, there's great undercurrents in the church these days um, of, you know, that this is, the, the law of God is too much. Like, we're expecting too much from people to follow the commandments. You know, especially with respect to marriage and sexuality. Well, it's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. The preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. It is power, just the power of mediocrity, I guess, without grace. You know, and it is really a shame because it's not true, again, one of these lies, that God's grace is insufficient you know, for us uh, to live in friendship with him and to reach our perfection in him because after all, he made us to be, each of us, just as holy as he wills. Just as holy as he wills. That is God's promise to us. That is part of that promise and part of his glory that we might be just as holy as God made us to be. That is our perfection. And it is utterly attainable. Not easy, but it is absolutely attainable. And to think that it's not attainable is to doubt, to doubt God, to doubt who we are. And think of what if we shifted our thinking to be, I want to be just as holy as God wants me to be. I want what God wants. We shifted our thinking. You know, that would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? You know, instead of I want to punch the ticket, I want to fulfill my obligations as a Catholic. You know, I want to be in a state of grace. My twin brother is always saying, um, you know, there's, in purgatory that there's this light switch. And there's a little sign above the light switch that says, last one out, please turn off the lights. And my twin brother says, I'm going to be happy if I'm that guy who's got to turn the lights off in purgatory. And I was like, John, you know, if you aim too low, you're going to miss the mark. Okay, you've got to aim a little bit higher than like last person out, please turn off the lights in purgatory. Okay, aim a little bit higher. Um, but think, we want what God wants. We want what God wants. Then we're going to very soon be on that path to this holiness that God longs for us. This union that God wills for us. And maybe we're not in this place right now where we can say, Lord, I want what you want. I want what you want and only what you want. It's okay if we're not there. The Lord loves us nonetheless. If we can just even begin by saying, Lord, I want to want what you want. I want to want what you want. Then the Lord can truly work with that. This is what the world needs, you know. Not power without grace, but grace with the power of God, you know, with us living uh, in the way, manner that he wants to, to us to live, with us being who he wants us to be, because this remedy for this misery of power without grace is divine power and divine grace lived in us as God's children. It, it's not going to come through some program or from some initiative or one more thing. We're not going to just arrive someday and like this is the place where, where we're supposed to be personally. You know, this is another thing another thing that kind of comes from that lie of like, I've got to have my act together before God will love me. I've got to be good enough before God will love me. I'm going to get there. This is another thing that kind of holds us back. Because instead of seeking Christ, we're seeking that place. 
Okay, and that place, I think, where we can relax. You know, but we weren't made for that. We were meant to keep striving. Uh, and so this, this conversion, you know, of the church and of the world is not going to come through that, through some charismatic churchmen who can inspire great numbers of people. It's not going to come through that. It's going to come from God's sons and daughters being God's sons and daughters, living in friendship with him, living it fearlessly, fearlessly. There is a priest at Franciscan University uh, in Steubenville, and I can't remember his name. I wish I could. I tried to find this online, but I couldn't find his name. But he said, the time of the casual Catholic is over. It is over. Now is the time for the heroic Catholic. The heroic Catholic. Now, there is nothing more countercultural than being God's son, being God's daughter. I wish I could express that to the teens at Paula VI. Because Jesus is not cool to them. You know, serving Jesus is not cool. Okay, but hey, you want to rebel? Be a Christian. <laughs> you know, you want to, you want to say that, you know, uh, thumb your nose at the, at the whole world? Be a Christian. Be God's son. Be God's daughter. Right? But uh, th- now is the time uh, for the heroic Catholics. All of the grace, all the wisdom, all the power, all the love present here in the Blessed Sacrament. You know, us living that as God's sons and daughters. Because we are, again, St. Paul. We are Christ's, and Christ is God's.